We're hot even if we're not on. So, Turn with me to Colossians chapter number 1 this evening. Colossians chapter number 1. Very thankful for uh, the privilege to be here this evening with you. It's always an honor to uh, be in attendance at these monthly fellowships of the sister churches here in West Tennessee, West Kentucky. Uh, but it's an even greater honor to be able to stand and preach this evening. Uh, the message that I, I want to bring tonight, uh, especially considering the text that we're going to be looking at, is a message that really excites my own soul and thrills my own heart to consider. And it's a message that uh, is pertinent to all Christians and applicable to all church members, but I, I think we're going to find this especially geared towards those choice men whom the Lord has called into a place of Ministry, pastoring, uh, the, the pulpit ministry, the preaching of the Word of God. When we think about the pulpit ministry and when we think about preaching in general, uh, one of the important elements of that is considering the needs of those to whom we preach. And I think one of the most overlooked demographics are those men who do the preaching. So I pray that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement to all of us, but especially those to whom the Lord is using to preach His Word. We'll read beginning in verse 28 of Colossians chapter number 1. I want to preach to you on the imperatives of biblical preaching. Verse 28, these are the words of God. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. One of the highest callings that could ever be placed upon your life is a call to the ministry and a call to preach the Word of God. And we must remember that preaching is both a gift and a skill. God sovereignly gives the gift, and He sovereignly bestows the call. But then those men who receive that call must work to cultivate the gift that God has given them. And because it is God that commissions you, it is God that determines every aspect of your ministry. The Bible sets the standard for what preaching must be. And it is the biblical criteria that our preaching must meet. Not the religious culture around us. Not the traditions of our churches. Not what the world wants us to be saying. Not what our congregations want us to be saying. We must say what God wants us to say. What you preach matters to God. How you preach matters to God. Why you preach matters to God. Remember this. If God has placed you in the ministry, there is coming a day when you will stand before Him and you will give an account for every sermon you preach, every devotional you give, and every lesson you teach. Therefore, we must preach in a manner that is pleasing to God. And the only way to do that is to know the imperatives that God has given us in His Word 
for biblical preaching. As I look out, especially here at a congregated fellowship of churches, I see many men in various stages of their ministry. I understand that I'm preaching to men that have been preaching for decades longer than me. And I'm also preaching to men that just began preaching here in the last year. So we have a a room full that covers a wide array of seasons and experiences. And you might think that it's a little off-putting for someone as young and as inexperienced as myself to preach on such a subject. However, I want to ensure you that my goal is not to share my thoughts on what preaching must be. I want us to consider what God has said about this subject. And if I'm telling you what God has said about this subject, my age is irrelevant. My experience is irrelevant. So may this message encourage you to keep preaching, to keep proclaiming the good news. I believe that that is really the only hope for our nation, for our churches, for the next generation. May this message convict you of areas where your preaching falls short of the biblical imperatives. And may this message challenge you to dive deeper, to strive harder, to labor longer, and to preach even better. The first thing I want you to see from our text is the message of our preaching. The message of our preaching. Beginning there in verse 28, Paul writing says, Whom we preach. This whom is a pronoun that refers to the immediate antecedent in verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This designation identifies the sum total and ultimate aim of biblical preaching. When we step into the pulpit, we are to have one definitive goal. To preach Christ Jesus. We do not preach a set of rules and regulations. We do not preach traditions. We do not preach cultural habits. We do not preach a political agenda. We do not preach our own opinions. We preach a crucified, risen again, living, highly exalted God-man, whose name is Jesus Christ. When Paul makes this statement, he does not do so as a preacher who only had one sermon, or who only ever covered one passage, or who only ever spoke on one subject. No, Paul preached the whole gambit of Bible doctrine. He preached everything from theology proper, all the way to eschatology, and everything in between. Yet what held together... Every aspect of his apostolic ministry was this grand truth of Jesus Christ. Christ had a bearing on everything Paul ever preached, everything he ever wrote. All roads of his theology intersected at that grand, lofty, and high point of Christ Jesus. Paul's preaching was purposeful, it was pointed, it was direct, and it was deliberate. He did not spend his time running down endless theological rabbit trails. His preaching was not consumed with silly discussions and frivolous debates. When you heard Paul preach, you could know of a surety that your heart was going to be full. 
Your mind was going to be thrilled. Your soul was going to be uplifted by the person and work of Jesus Christ. For Paul, the main thing was to keep the main thing the main thing, and Christ is the main thing. Every preacher would do well to simply follow this apostolic example. Men, your pulpit ministry will never go higher than your exaltation of Jesus Christ. Your preaching will only be as great as the Christ you preach. Nothing else can ever be substituted. No doctrine may ever supersede the preeminence of Christ and your preaching. Amen. He is to always take the center stage. Whatever you are called to do, you are called to make much of Jesus Christ. No matter what text you are expounding, no matter what subject you are undertaking, regardless of the occasion, you are a Christ preacher. He is to be your grand theme. He is to be your supreme subject. Spurgeon once commented on men who covered a vast array of topics and subjects, but rarely mentioned the relevancy of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, quote, Ah, sirs, no Christ in your preaching? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. This imperative of Christ-centered preaching does not reduce, nor does it limit our preaching. Rather, it ensures the worth and value of our preaching. Because a price cannot be placed on preaching that faithfully proclaims and elevates the Lord Jesus. But Christless preaching is truly worthless. Everything you preach is to be an overflow of your proclamation of Christ. As you proclaim Christ, you will cover the full counsel of God. No doctrine will be neglected when Christ is rightly proclaimed. But when Christ is rightly proclaimed, no other doctrine will ever surpass the person and work of Jesus in its importance. Brethren, we must never let our zeal to defend certain doctrinal and practical convictions distract, nor minimize, nor take away from a robust proclamation of Jesus Christ. We must understand that Christianity is Christ. Knowing Christ, believing in Christ, following Christ, living for Christ, serving Christ, glorifying Christ is the sum substance of what it means to be a Christian. If you have no Christ, you have no Christianity. All doctrine is connected to Christ. Nothing can be learned apart from Christ. And nothing has any meaning when it is separated from Jesus Christ. Anytime we elevate any other teaching or any other doctrine above the superiority of Jesus Christ, we are well on our way to becoming a cult. Because we've left our first love. We have allowed something else to overtake the primacy that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And may that never be said of us. May no one ever say, they talk a lot about clothing, but very little about Christ. May no one ever say, they preach a lot about baptism, but very little about Jesus. May no one ever say, They make much of the church, but neglect the head of the church. 
May they never say. They boast in their church membership, but they do not boast in the cross. May Christ always take the preeminence. And when He does, friend, those other things that I just mentioned will not be neglected. They will be put in their proper places. As we address all of these needful subjects, it must be Christ who always retains the preeminence. We must proclaim Christ before all, above all, in all, through all, to all, because of all, for all. Our soteriology, our ecclesiology, our bibliology, our eschatology, and every other ology must be characterized by the person and work of Jesus. What does it mean to preach Christ? Paul gives us the answer to this question earlier in the chapter. Chapter 1 of Colossians is one of the most Christ-exalting chapters in the whole Bible. Very quickly, look with me at verse 15. And I want to just show you some of the things from just this one chapter about what it means to preach Christ. If we would grasp the depth of just Colossians 1, it would revolutionize our pulpits. What does it mean to preach Christ? Number one, Jesus must be proclaimed as God. Look at verse 15. Who, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in a man's body. Jesus Christ possesses the totality of the divine attributes. There is nothing in God that is lacking in Christ because Christ is God. Secondly, Jesus must be proclaimed as sovereign. He is the firstborn of every creature. Now this does not mean that He is a creation, for He was begotten, not created. What this means is that the Father has entrusted to His Son the crown rights of the entire universe. He is the heir and inheritor of all things. He has been exalted, as Peter says on the day of Pentecost, to the highest position of authority in the cosmos. Christ reigns as the unbridled sovereign over heaven and earth. He has been exalted over every creature, and His kingdom is above all the kingdoms of men. He asks permission from no one. His authority is unquestioned. His supremacy is unrivaled. His rule is unchallenged. Christ must be proclaimed as sovereign. He must also be proclaimed as creator. Look at verse 16. For by Him were all things created. He is the creator of heaven and earth. All of creation, everything that was made, finds its origin in Jesus Christ. Not only is He the creator of all things, but He is the reason why all things were created. For His honor, glory, and pleasure was everything made that was made. And all men and all women and all of creation is bound to the One who created them. Jesus must be proclaimed as sustainer. Verse 17 says that in Jesus Christ, who is before all, all things consist. Christ is, as it were, the great atlas that holds up the universe. Christ maintains the harmony in everything that we can see before us. Nothing comes to pass apart from the decree of Christ the Sustainer. World history is simply the unveiling of His eternal decree before our very eyes. There is no good luck. 
There is no bad luck. There are no accidents. There are no random events. There is no karma. There is only the sheer providence of Christ the Sustainer who ordains all things for the good of them that love Him. Christ must be proclaimed as the preeminent head of the church. Look at verse 18. What a glorious verse. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Christ has always been the preeminent one, and His preeminence was chiefly manifested in His personal ministry when He established on this earth an embassy of His own kingdom in the church. He is the legislator. He is the commander. He is the one and only potentate. And we have no authority except for the authority that Christ has stewarded to us. We are not authorized to do anything that Jesus has not bidden us to do. He is the head, and we as His body must obey Him. We must seek to be approved of Him in everything we do. And if you please Christ, if your preaching pleases Christ, then it does not matter who you displease. But if you displease Christ, it does not matter who you please. We are accountable to Him for the work of the ministry, for the preaching of the gospel, for the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And it will be King Jesus who will have the final say on all of our lives and ministries. And Jesus must be proclaimed as Redeemer. Because by the blood of His cross, He has made peace between God and man. And in Him, God is reconciling all things to Himself. The chief accomplishment of Christ's work is His saving, atoning death upon the cross of Calvary. And as the benefits of His death are being applied, all things in heaven and earth are being reconciled unto Him. If you are to be made right with God, you must be right with Jesus Christ. You must come into alignment with Him because He will be first in all things. And He will either be first in your salvation by the dispensation of His grace, or He will be first in your damnation. And He will destroy you for His own glory. Brethren, this is what it means to preach Christ. And when we consider just a a summary glance of these truths, we must ask ourselves, why would we ever preach anything else? When we stand before God on the final day, we will not regret our time spent preaching Jesus. Our only regret will be that we did not preach Him more. Thunder and lightning will return to the pulpit when Christ returns to the forefront of our preaching. That's the message that we are to preach. And I understand that I'm saying all of this to a room full of men that do that Sunday after Sunday. That doesn't mean that we don't need this rehearsed in our ears as well. If we were to talk about what is so wrong with the pulpits of this country... We could come up with a host of issues. But do you know what the number one problem is? There's no Christ in those pulpits. Christless Christianity is one of the most diabolical tools of Satan himself. 
Fill the churches full, but take out Christ. He is the message of our preaching. Secondly, I want you to see the method of our preaching. God not only cares about what we preach, He also cares how we preach it. And the preacher is not the one who gets to determine how he preaches. It is the Bible that instructs us on how we are to preach. May we bow to the authority of Scripture. And in this text, we have four pillars of biblical preaching. You probably already see them. The first one is preach, whom we preach. Secondly, warning. Thirdly, teaching. Fourthly, wisdom. These are the four pillars that are absolutely crucial to biblical preaching. Let's look at them. Number one, preach. We are not called to be mere public speakers. We are not to present lectures. We are to preach sermons. And there is a great difference between preaching and other forms of communication. Someone once asked, I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who wrote the, the book, Preachers and Preaching. They said, Dr. Jones, how do I differentiate between preaching and, and just other forms of teaching and speaking? And he said, young man, if you're asking me this question, it's evident that you've never heard real preaching. Because there is a great difference, a vast difference between preaching and other forms of communication. Preaching is a solemn and sincere public proclamation. Preaching involves a certain attitude, a certain character, tone, intensity, fervency, urgency, and authority. Biblical preaching is to never be done half-heartedly. Biblical preaching does not beat around the bush. Biblical preaching does not mince words or dance around the truth. Biblical preaching is done in a godly boldness as we passionately preach the truth as God has delivered it. Preaching. It is going into a world that knows nothing of Christ and proclaiming Him as Lord of all. Biblical preaching is a force to be reckoned with because it is attended with the mighty power of heaven. It is potent. It is strong. It is cognitive, it is intelligent, it is logical, it is deliberate, it is exegetical, it is doctrinal, it is theological, it is ordered, it is objective, and it is definite. Biblical preaching is nothing less than becoming a mouthpiece through which Almighty God speaks. And if a man is rightly preaching the word, then it is as if God himself or standing in the pulpit. That's how serious preaching is. Amen. That's how high of a calling preaching is. That's how important preaching is. A biblical preacher is someone who does nothing more and nothing less than trumpets the truth of God. This is our method. It is not wrapped up in tricks. It is not wrapped up in gimmicks. Or manipulation. Sovereign grace preachers rightly understand that you don't need some kind of silly invitation at the end of your service because if the preaching is biblical, there's an invitation in the sermon. The method of biblical preaching is so simple yet so profound. Faithfully declare the truth of God. 
Do nothing more, do nothing less. Second pillar, warning. (laughs) Warning. Warning is essential to biblical preaching. Warning is what distinguishes a dry and detached presentation of facts from a passionate appeal to the hearts of men. We're not hyper-Calvinists. We don't believe in laying out the doctrine and just walking away. If that's all you've done, you have not preached. Pastor, your goal every Sunday is to put your congregation at a crossroads and force them to choose which way they are going to go. And you do this by proclaiming the blessings of obedience to the Word and by warning of the danger that awaits all those who reject the Word of God and reject Jesus Christ. This aspect of preaching demands that we are not stoic and lifeless. But we must be fervent in our task to warn others who hear us. We are to preach Christ as though lives and eternities are hanging in the balance because they are. We are to preach Christ as though heaven and hell is looming around the corner because they are. You are not just preaching to heads. You are preaching to hearts as well. You are preaching to the whole of man. Your preaching must ignite the intellect Your preaching must stir the emotions, and your preaching must plead with the will. John Brodus rightly said, If there is no summons, there is no sermon. This does not require you, by the way, to change your personality. God knew exactly what your personality was before He ever called you into the ministry. And your passion... And your fervency might not look like mine. But God will put within you a passion that accompanies the call and it will manifest in whatever personality God has given you. You must make it explicitly clear that the doctrine you preach is not meant to be hung on the wall and admired. It is meant to transform the lives of those who hear it. It is meant to change who they are. And it should thrill your soul to consider the weighty responsibility of imploring sinners to come to Christ. You will never do anything greater. May we never come across as cold or unenthusiastic or even indifferent when inviting sinners to the Savior. I've heard some pastors that that I think are more enthusiastic when they're giving the announcements than when they are inviting sinners to come to the Savior. May this never be said about us. May we be zealous in your pleadings with the souls of men. Uh, We had a young man that visited Christ's fellowship in Paris. Now he's coming very faithfully, and I believe the Lord is really revealing some things to him. But when he first started coming, he told me, he said... When I first started coming, I didn't know if what you were saying was true or not, but there's one thing I knew. You really believed it. I took that as a compliment. May your people experience your intense care for the state of their soul. Third pillar, teaching. Preaching must impart knowledge to the hearers. This is the meat and potatoes of preaching. 
You cannot have strong application without thorough explanation. The teaching aspect is the core of what holds our preaching together. Not all teachers are preachers, but all preachers are teachers. And all teachers have a curriculum. And our curriculum is Christ as he is presented from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. To preach biblically is to open the Bible, read the Bible, exposit the Bible, apply the Bible, as you magnify Christ in all of the Bible. And the degree to which you faithfully do this will determine the impact and effectiveness of your preaching. If your preaching is full of robust biblical truth, it will go very far. But if your preaching is void of the Bible, it will not go anywhere. May it not go anywhere. Biblical preaching is contextual preaching. We must be faithful to the true meaning of the text. We must use Scripture to determine the meaning of Scripture. Do not approach the Bible and ask, how can I use this portion of Scripture to make my point? Approach the Bible and ask, what point is God making in this portion of Scripture? Biblical preaching is expositional preaching. Commit yourself to the text. Expose the text. Shed light on the text. And show your congregation what God is saying in the text. Because ten minutes of what God has to say is worth more than ten hours of what you and I have to say. And this can be done, by the way, in a number of different strategies. This doesn't mean that you can only ever preach through books, though I commend that practice to you. But it means that no matter what you're doing, If you're preaching a special message at a conference on a particular topic and theme, you still must exposit the text in front of you. Faithful exposition will guarantee a balance to your pulpit ministry. See, there are certain subjects, there are certain passages of Scripture that we just enjoy more than others. And we we know more about them than we do other portions of Scripture. And we have a tendency to hang out in the shallow waters where we feel comfortable. But our people need more than that. They need the full counsel of God. They need the really confusing parts of Ezekiel. They need the genealogies in the book of Genesis. They need the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus and Leviticus. They need that. They need all of the Bible applied to all of life. And God has commissioned you to feed that to them. And the surefire way to guarantee a balanced approach in your preaching is to simply bind yourself to the text. To to not skip over it. To not go around it. To not bypass it, but to deal with it. Preaching the Word is a combination of reading the text, teaching the text, applying the text, and trusting God to use the text. Oftentimes, the, the messages where I feel as if I don't have the zingers in there, I don't have the strong applications in there, I don't have the alliteration in there, uh, and, and I feel kind of weak about it, but it, it's a faithful presentation of the text. A lot of times God is pleased to use that more than the messages that I'm really confident in. Because it's God that uses His Word. Amen. The last pillar. 
wisdom. This is a bit different than the other three. Wisdom is preaching what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. To have that knowledge with your preaching. And if you are going to preach with wisdom, you must be exceptionally mindful and extremely prayerful. You must take into consideration the needs of your congregation. Preaching with wisdom does not mean that you have to make the Bible relevant. For the Bible is always relevant. Amen. I've been asked that when, I, when I, I'm talking with others. And they say, well, what have you been preaching on lately? And I've said, well, I've been preaching through this particular book. And they say, well, how do you make it relevant every Sunday if you're bound to just preaching the next section of the book? And I say, I don't have to make it relevant. God has already given it with a full relevancy. It is more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. All I have to do is shed light on it. And when we expose that relevancy, we will preach with wisdom. These are the four pillars that uphold the biblical imperative of our method. And pulpits are aflame. Churches are edified. Hearts are impacted. Lives are changed. God is glorified when we take the message of preaching and the method of preaching and put them together. Thirdly, the market of our preaching. To whom are we to preach? Where are we to take the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. There's a phrase in verse 28 that's repeated three times. We are to preach to every man. Young and old, rich and poor, black and white, believer and unbeliever. There is no category of people in your church or that have ever lived that does not need biblical preaching. Special ministries are wonderful. Singles retreats are wonderful. Children's ministry is wonderful. But all of those groups need biblical preaching. Let's look at the motivation for our preaching. Still in verse 28. You see why this passage just invigorated me as I was plodding over this section of Scripture. The motivation for our preaching at the end of the verse, Paul says this, that we may present every man Perfect in Christ Jesus. Second only to the glory of God itself. This is our highest ambition and greatest motivation. You are to preach so that sinners might be saved, that hearts might be transformed, that saints might be comforted, and that every man might be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. You are to preach so that those who hear you come into spiritual maturity. Your goal in every sermon is for the people to leave in a greater conformity to Christ than they came in with. Pastor, your reward is your congregation's reward. To see them stand approved before God on that day is for you to stand approved before God on that day. Amen. Amen. My, my heart's prayers that there will come a day in glory in which I will get to stand off to the side and I will get to watch the Lord Jesus say to the people that heard me, well done, my good and faithful servant. For them to finish well is for you to finish well. 
to be perfect in Christ, coming to a maturity, it goes far deeper than a mere outward conformity. This is not skin deep. You can only accomplish this when the Holy Spirit takes your preaching and penetrates the hearts of those who hear you. And if your preaching is to have this kind of impact, listen to me, you must deeply love the people that you preach to. They must know that the reason why you confront sin, the reason for your passion in the pulpit, the reason why you weep with bitter tears, the reason why you devote yourself to the work of the ministry is because you love the souls of men and you love your congregations. Make it a point to express to them how much you love them. See, the truth is, the truth is, there are men that can preach much better than you. There are men who know more theology than you. There are men that are better counselors than you. There are men who are better speakers than you. But no one, apart from Christ Himself, will ever love your people more than you. No one loves the members of Amstead more than Jim Duke. No one loves the members of Julian more than Christopher Page. No one loves the members of Northside more than Irvin Cummings. No one loves the members of New Testament Baptist Church more than Larry Lafferty. There are men that can preach better than all of them. There are men that can preach better than me. But no one will ever love those congregations more than the shepherd after God's own heart that He has placed in that pulpit for their souls. And if you love them, you will have no greater desire than to see them presented perfect before the throne of Jesus Christ. Well, my, my, how time gets away from us. Look at the last thing here in this passage. I want you to see the might of our preaching. The might of our preaching. Paul begins in verse 29. And he says, Whereunto I also labor. Biblical preaching requires much labor. Labor in study. Labor in preparation. Labor in prayer. The labor that it takes you to wake up on a Sunday morning and just prepare your own soul. The labor that it takes you To just be a shepherd to your own family. And then on top of that, the household of God. And many preachers fall short of the imperative of biblical preaching because they refuse to labor. Biblical preaching is hard work. It's a lot easier to jump around between your five favorite hobby horses every Sunday. It's a lot easier... To preach the same message seven times. Biblical preaching is hard work. And that's what we're called to do. To give ourselves to the ministry of the word. To pour ourselves out in our study that God might fill us up in the pulpit. Strive to preach each sermon better than your last. Strive to be more faithful to the text this Lord's Day than you were last Lord's Day. 
Strive to pray more about your congregation's needs this Lord's Day than you did last Lord's Day. You can always preach better. You can always pray more. You can always study longer. You can always know more about the text in front of you. May God help us to never be satisfied with the state of our preaching. To always strive to be more faithful. To be a better servant. To be a better laborer. And know this. That the God who first gave you that desire. Some of you could probably recount how you felt when you first sensed that God was calling you into the ministry. Because for some of you it was a very short time ago. Others of you could still recount that. And it's been 40 or 50 years. What happened to you brother? Where's that zeal? Has God changed? Has the calling on your life changed? When God first called you to the ministry, you were going to take the world for Christ. You were going to preach the gospel. You were going to live by it. You were going to die by it. Do you realize that the God who gave you that gift and issued that calling, He's still able to increase those gifts and to deepen that calling as you continue to labor. May our preaching become better and better. May it become more and more biblical. May it become more Christ-exalting. May it become more God-glorifying. May we understand that heaven truly is the limit for our pulpits. And as you consider your responsibility to labor, be encouraged in this. It is not just your labor that propels the ministry. Because Paul goes on to say, he says... Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his work, which worketh in me mightily. You will never be able to fulfill pastoral duties in the strength of your own flesh. You must labor in the power of Christ who works within you. When you feel you cannot continue, when you wake up with the Monday morning blues. When you don't have the strength to go on. When you're thinking about the sacrifices that your family has to make. When you're thinking about the reproach that comes upon you. When you're thinking about the hardships of the ministry. When you're thinking about the friends that have turned their backs on you. Understand that there is one who is always faithful Amen. to supply your every need to fill you back up, to carry you to that pulpit one more time. Whatever God calls you to, He will call you through. And He has promised to provide the strength that you need for the ministry. Your only goal is faithfulness to Him. He will do the rest. Brethren, the call of this text is to expend yourself to to empty yourself, to give your life to this ministry, trusting that your reward is in the Lord. We must exalt Christ. We must plead with men. We must confront sinners. We must comfort saints. We must minister faithfully according to this book. We must preach what the Bible says, how the Bible says to preach it, for the reasons that the Bible says to preach it. And if you commit yourself to faithfulness in the ministry and fidelity to biblical preaching, then take comfort in knowing that God will be pleased to use you in a mighty way. And if you've ministered faithfully on earth, 
believe when you get to heaven, you'll be astonished at what all God did with your ministry that you knew nothing about. All of us here today stand on the shoulders of men that we know nothing about. And to those of you who sit under faithful preachers, pray for the man that God has given to care for your soul. He needs those prayers more than you realize. Tell him that you love him. Tell him how much you appreciate him. And I don't mean slapping him on the shoulder on your way to the buffet after Sunday morning. When he has been used of God to really bless your soul, go to him and tell him that. It will mean more to him than you will ever realize. It will quite literally be the thing that God uses to keep him going sometimes. If you have a man that gets up and exalts Christ, you have riches untold. There are places in this world where men cannot be found who even know how to exalt Christ. And yet you have a place that you can go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Tuesday afternoon, where Christ is proclaimed and uplifted and glorified and magnified. God has been good to you. Express your thanks to the man that God has given to your church and to God himself for what he's doing with his body. Pastor, if you knew that this Sunday morning would be your last opportunity to stand in a pulpit. I I did a a study leading up to this. I read some of the last sermons of very well-known preachers. Some of them were just quite prophetic. When you read the, the last sermon that Spurgeon ever preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he had no idea it would be his last sermon. If you knew that this Sunday was going to be your last sermon... How would you preach? How would you speak of Jesus Christ? Whatever your answer to that is, let me urge you to preach that way every single time. Preach as a dying man to dying men. Because, brother, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God help us to be faithful to the work that he's called us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. For the gift of preachers. For the gift of pastors. You said in Jeremiah that a people was blessed when they had pastors after your own heart. I'm thankful for the men of God that have impacted my own life, my own preaching. Some of them in this room. And I'm so thankful for the privilege, Lord, that it is to open the Bible. To preach the Bible. Lord, help me to fall in repentance on those days when I just don't feel like studying. (laughs) Help me to realize what a privilege it is to serve Christ in the pulpit ministry. Help pastors to be better pastors. Help preachers to be better preachers. Fill us with the strength and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be faithful to the work that you've called us to. We glorify you. Your word is good. And we thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.